This episode of Fermented Adventure, the podcast, features Amanda Beckwith. It was recorded on location at Virginia Distillery Company. Dawn and I had a wonderful time touring the distillery and learning from Amanda all about their amazing whiskeys. Be sure to reach out to Amanda and Virginia Distillery Company and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. She's Amanda Beckwith. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here. And this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Today, we're at Virginia Distillery Company. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Oh, this is like, even from the moment you greeted us today, the excitement and exuberance has just risen. I am so excited to talk whiskey and Virginia distillery whiskey today. What I want to know is, how did all this get started? Oh, I have to take it back to our founder, George Moore. He was an Irishman who came over to the U.S. in the 70s and... Throughout his time going through education, starting his first job, he loved collecting and drinking single malts. And back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, American single malt was not a thing. So we're kind of the dream come true, the vision of, of one man. Now, when you say the 70s and enjoying drinking single malts, what was the timeline to create Virginia Distillery Company? Because I'm sure you didn't just drop a still here. This is a beautiful... It, I will tell you, and we, we shared this on the way in, we remembered five years ago that we had been here. We remembered how much we loved the distillery location. I'm going to call it a campus, but um, I'm also, as we talked about, I'm going to lobby for this becoming a bed and breakfast and where you can sleep somewhere on the property and help distill. I don't know, maybe a hands-on experience would be fun. But how do you take it from, you know, 1970s shows up drinking single mall and, you know, to the maturation of where you are today? Yeah. One thing I've learned is whiskey can't be rushed. So even though the dream started decades ago, 2011 was when they really started to build on site. Uh, 2013, things kind of kicked up a notch. Um, George passed away. His son, Gareth, took over the reins. And today, we've been distilling and aging for over seven years. But it was a long time before then of just getting everything laid out, built in, all the instructors coming to train us and learn as much as we could along the way. So it's, it's been a long journey. Talk about where you come on board yes. and talk about the roles that you have here at the distillery. I mean, you the tour you just took us on, I mean, I, I wish we could take like video footage and, and just display everything you have here. This is a beautiful distillery. It's 
pres- it's, I, I think you could eat off the floor. It's so clean here. And, and your connection, you showed us a few things, your connection just to the history of whiskey. But talk about where you come in and, and everything else. Yeah, so I started with the company in 2015, and that's when we launched our tour and tasting program. So I was brought on board to build up our visitor center, hire a team, train them. And at that time, we were just turning on our stills. So I was here the day our stills started. Uh, the first drops came off. The first barrel was filled. I got to watch that whole thing take place, and that was exciting. And as the whiskey was aging, my knowledge of whiskey making was growing as well. So I spent time in other countries, Scotland, um, Texas, Kentucky, learning as much as I could. About Texas believes in their own country, by the way. <laughs> yes, they do. And they're a very large state. So they've got a lot, a lot of cool things down there, including whiskey, uh, single malt as well as bourbon. So that's really neat. And uh, yeah, over the years, as we were aging up our whiskey, we realized we need somebody to kind of take on the role of guarding the casks and seeing how the whiskey's coming along when it's ready. And so I started forming this sensory panel and uh, my mentors were saying, hey, you've got a good nose. You should really be growing in this. You should be a a master blender. And uh, Gareth Moore said, yes, I think this is a great role for you. And so he he made me lead blender a couple years ago. And so when our first line of American single malt came out, Courage and Conviction, I got to be the one selecting all the casks and getting them all ready for bottling, doing all the blending. Now, you said a whole bunch of things. And there's so many things I now want to know about you and your experience. Start where just just your original introduction to whiskey for you was and, you know, how you felt about it and, you know, where that's led you to where we are today. I've always loved whiskey. I think I lucked out because I started out drinking really good whiskey. I was an English major, loved to travel, see the world, and I kept finding that I was fascinated by history and whiskey just kind of wove its way through whatever country I was visiting, uh, the food I wanted to eat, the pairings were just really great. And of all the types of whiskey, single malt spoke the most to me because it has that real sense of place. Everything is distilled and aged and often even bottled at one place. So you really know what's going on and the, the story behind it. And my my brother, Josh, he and I kind of grew up becoming friends. And now we just say we're brother and sister. Uh, he was a chef. Um, he's sort of retired that hat now, but we always were doing food together and we talk whiskey, what would pair well. And so that love just kind of grew from the time I could legally drink. And when I was in other countries before then, you mentioned the sensory part. Yes. And you mentioned mentors. Who were some of your mentors? Ooh, I have been so fortunate. When we were starting to build this distillery, we brought over Harry Coburn, and he is currently 86 years old. He started out at Bowmore as an engineer on Isla, and he's been in the industry for decades. He retired in the 70s and then just couldn't stop. (laughs) So he's been just incredibly accessible to me. He had the idea to lay out our distillery the way it was, and that scientific brain, the engineering side, has been such a gift. So I email with him every month, sometimes two or three times, and he's been so generous. So seeing that technical side has been really helpful. Another huge mentor was Dr. Jim Swan. He passed away in 2017, but he'd been in the industry for a long time, and he was a maturation expert. So he would tell us things. He would give recommendations on what type of casks to use to age our whiskey, and that has been a gift that I treasure every day. And then lastly, uh, Nancy Fraley, she is this incredible blender. She's out in California and 
they call her the nose and she came here was helping us with our vhw whiskey and that was a really fun project and she said hey i really like the things you're saying about whiskey you're picking up really important notes and you're thinking really critically uh i think you need to pursue this so she's the first person who said hey go for it yeah go for it (laughs) that's high praise and in an industry where i would say bourbons and tennessee whiskeys are taking front stage you're in a place where single malts are very new, especially new American single malt or American single malt to that palate, to the enjoyer, the drinker of whiskeys. We think here, if we're going for a single malt, we're going over to Scotland. Yes. We're going over to Ireland. Now we're going over to England in, in a way. Where, you know, where does... Virginia Distillery Company see their place in the American single malt world and that introduction or that that education to the American palate or or the world you know the world drinker. You're so right. So many people in the US when they hear single malt they immediately say scotch. And the really crazy thing is single malt can be made in any country of the world and Really, the Scottish and Irish immigrants who came over to the United States or the colonies back then, they were the ones who brought that whiskey-making knowledge with them. And the largest commercial distillery in the late 1700s was in Virginia. It was at Mount Vernon, run by George Washington's farm manager, James Anderson. And James had grown barley for the four largest distilleries in Scotland before he came over. And his plan was to do a single malt whiskey in Virginia. But the rocky soil at Mount Vernon was just not ideal, and so they went with the rye route. And I think only 4% of the first mash bill that they did was barley. The rest was rye. And that was happening all over the U.S. Kentucky wasn't even a state. It was part of what is, well, at that time, Virginia. So the first bourbon came from Virginia even. But the really cool thing is now we have the technology. Now we can make those original visions come true. And barley is my favorite grain for so many reasons. I know that corn and rye were just so easy to grow. They were already predominant in a lot of areas. So it made sense to do the bourbon or rye route. But today we have the technology and we know that those enzymes in barley are so great for fermentation. Uh, All those accessible sugars are ideal, but also the flavor is gorgeous. So it's it's a win-win to be part of this a little bit of history coming back to life. As the distillery grows and as you get that reception, I mean, again, you talk about Virginia and you talk about, hey, all right, Kentucky bourbon came out of Virginia and let's not leave our friends in Pennsylvania out. Oh, um, the rye. Yeah. Yes. I love the idea that this is, you've got the Living History Museum here and what's going on. What's the reception that you get still today from those tasters, those drinkers that haven't had single malt or new American single malt, have this perception and connection to, you know, our, our, our friends over in Ireland and Scotland? What, what's the feedback that you get now? And do you see that, that, that perception changing? I do see it changing. I think a lot of times American drinkers were a little nervous because a lot of times they seem to think that scotch is 
repeated and some of it is, some of it is not, a lot of it is not. And so there's that thought of leeriness from people who maybe don't like the smokier, more phenolic notes. So when they nose our whiskey, there's immediately this, oh, wait a second. And then they're sipping, I love this. So it's maybe a little bit more accessible if they're nervous about the more dominant aggressive notes, which is really fun because I go for complexity, layers of flavor that take time to unfold. So there's a lot in these whiskeys that will pair beautifully with food. If you wanted to just sit and drink it neat, it's gonna open up for hours. But even more exciting to me is the way that people fall in love with it when they taste it and go, oh my gosh, I love these flavors. And for our friends in Scotland and Ireland, I think it's been really exciting for them. I was nervous at first, but I have a lot of friends who keep saying, can you send me more? Bring me more when you come. <laughs> and for mentors like Harry Coburn, when I send samples, they'll say, I know this is only aged six or seven years, but it's it's tasting like a 30-year-old scotch, which is really impressive to, to hear that. And that's because the climate in Virginia is so dynamic. We get a lot more aging in our barrels very quickly. It would take three to four times as many years in Scotland to get the same flavor, depth of character. Pardon the interruption. If you like what you hear, if you love what you're hearing, please share the podcast. Please take a screenshot of the podcast, post it on your social media, tag us just to let everybody else know about Fermented Adventure, the podcast. We'd be grateful for your help to grow our podcast. You have this beautiful distillery. Talk about the thought of bringing it all together and building it here um, and some of your partners as far as where you're sourcing your grains from. Yes. So water, yeast, and barley. That's it for our ingredients. And we've got a great water source right here. Uh, our water is incredibly soft. So that was a big part of, you know, oh, this is a great location for us. Uh, we're nestled in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. So really great spots for just letting the, the climate interact with the barrels. We grow barley a little bit on site, but the nitrogen levels in our soil are really high. So ideally, we're going to be working with always two-row spring barley, the best of the best. So I now work with over 600 farmers throughout the north, midwest, into the southern reaches of Canada. And so they'll send us certificates of analysis. We'll say, yes, we like this barley. They'll bring it in. And I love that because it's much more sustainable. We're supporting lots of little farmers. And yet we don't have to worry about supply issues because we have so many that have kind of banded together for us to work with. Where is the malting happening? We have a smaller malting house partner right here in Charlottesville, Virginia called Murphy and Rude, and they're amazing. And then most of the malting in the past has been with Wisconsin or over in uh, Montana, Great Falls. I mean, it, it all brings it together. And in a lot of ways or a lot of cases, when we talk to, you know, smaller craft distilleries, they're sourcing from close by in terms of their grains and things of that nature. And I think that from what you're sharing, that you're bringing it throughout, you know, different portions, different regions that probably helps to create either a flavor profile or also bring in some notes that you'd like to introduce that you wouldn't just be limited to what would grow in the area. Absolutely. And another big part of it is the scale of what we're doing. We're the largest independently owned American single malt producer. So with the capacity that we have, we need to have a lot of consistency and working with so many different farmers really gets us there. The setup of the distillery. You showed me where your the the, the mill. Yes. <laughs> that is just. I, I said it looks brand new. It that beautiful. What did, what did you name that? You, oh, it's every, a Moby Mill. Yeah, everything has a name here. <laughs> yes. Flory. Yes. 
Florida. Florida is our floor cleaner, yeah, and we have googly eyes on him. Yes. Everything has a name. <laughs> yes. We, we call that door. It's Dory. I don't know. <laughs> oh, we haven't named that door yet, but I'll ask the team. Okay. We're all about having fun, and I think that everybody feels invested and passionate as a team, and that's so crucial. And that's something the more family has really passed on. Accessibility, anybody who wants to learn or know something, they have that opportunity. And I think the flow of our distillery, it's very linear. So it's really helpful for education purposes to say, here, walk on this path with me. We'll trace the barley going through our Bobby Mill, which, yeah, it's over a century old. It's beautiful. We love it all the way through our mash tun. We're extracting the sugar from the grain. We have our fermentation tanks. We have a three-day ferment. From there, it goes right to our stills, and we double distill in our copper pot stills before going into our, our bulk spirit receiver where the hearts are later put into the barrels and up the hill they go to, to age for Well, you five, left that, whole, that whole safe more. thing out that you showed us. Yes. I, what I find here is this is a living history museum that is creating new American single malt. And you're bringing the, you've got these beautiful copper stills here that you brought in from Scotland. Yes. And it, it's, if, if you want to see the best of both worlds, this is, I mean, you, you mentioned Steve Bate, well, you mentioned uh, Mount Vernon Distillery, yes. George Washington's Mount Vernon Distillery, and Steve Bayshore. So I love him. You know, yes. going to see how they distill, and then if you want to have a good sense of, you know, what you're going to see in the process of a lot of what whiskey has been made as, this is it. This is, I, I, I said, this is, a, this is such a treat to see how this all works. The only thing we need to do is roll us up to the hill to see your, uh, your cask. <laughs> That's uh, messed up. Yeah. yeah. I love that you said that because we, what a fun juxtaposition. The history is here, but I feel like we're standing on the shoulders of those original pioneers. So we have the know-how, the why, and some things you don't want to reinvent, like why would you reinvent a cask, a barrel? People try to do it all the time, but they'll bring me blind samples and I'll say, hey, you petite barrel aged this, or did you add wood chips, or what did you do? You know, and I think that we have some of those things that are traditions for a reason. But other things we've been able to say, let's bring in some technology, let's get really creative and modern, and why not have fun? You did mention your barrels. Yes. And you don't want to reinvent or recreate the wheel or the barrel, so to speak, how are you sourcing your barrels? Because I think that's such an important part, not just the grain and the water and, and the production and the stills, but the barrels really impart that character to what you're creating. Talk about that process for you. Yes. One of my favorite things about American single malt is by law, bourbon, rye, they have to age in new charred oak. American single malt does not. So we're liberated from that. And roughly half of the whiskey aging in our cask houses is in first fill bourbon barrels. So these barrels have already had a life. They've been in Kentucky. We always work with Brown Foreman or other distilleries like Willet. And so we know the quality of the whiskey that was in there and the harsher tannins have been taken out, which is fine if you've got like a lot of rye and corn in your mash bill. But for all of the, the barley that we're working with, I love having a more gentle aging experience. So that's kind of the foundation. And then from there, we build off with sherry casks from Spain, port casks from Portugal, uh, red wine casks from all throughout Europe, France, Spain, Portugal. We have a lot of fun and that's where a lot of flavor comes in. How do you go about sourcing these other secondary finished barrels? 
building relationships, okay. having these friendships so that way I can say, hey, I want to do this. What do you have for me that works really well or that's going to be sustainable with very fresh casks available when we need them? So that's been a huge part of my job is, is building these relationships because there's a big barrel shortage in the world and we want to keep it sustainable and be able to keep trading the barrels back and forth. So I really take that as a personal pride issue just to be able to, to care for the whiskey and the barrels too. Your enthusiasm and your attitude about whiskey is so infectious. Thank you. What motivates you? What gets you up every day? I mean, because in a lot of ways, this is cleaning, you know, mashing, ferment. I mean, there's a process every day, every day, every day. What What is it for you that gets you out of bed every day? Oh, I usually can't wait to be here. It doesn't feel like a job most days. And there's a lot of heavy lifting. There's a lot of cleaning. Like you said, there are days where it's, you know, staring at a computer screen, but there are so many reasons to just feel like I have the best job on the planet. I love the team that I work with. Their level of passion and commitment is amazing. Um, being able to do something so sensory focused, going through the casks and pulling out samples and thinking about how things are going to fit together, where this individual barrel belongs again and again. Like I feel like I'm finding a good home for every barrel. So I feel very proud of this team and the quality. We don't cut corners. So we know we're getting the best grain. We're getting the best barrels. And that's really exciting. And then we get to share it with people and educate them about what single malt whiskey can be and help them make memories, whether it's pairing with special dinners or gifts. It's fun to be part of that. Let's try some whiskey. Yes. Let's enjoy. Let's, you know, take us through the journey. What would you like us to... Um partake of first and talk about your vision or the team's vision for what is now in the bottle. So the first whiskey I think we should try is our signature malt from Courage and Conviction. It's that blue Superman 10. And it's a fun story because this is just water yeast and barley aged in three different cast types married together or batted together. So it's roughly 50% aged in first fill bourbon, 25% in sherry casks, and 25% from these red wine casks that are my favorite barrels to play around with from Spain, Portugal, and now France. Why did you pick this one to start with? Because it sounds like you're pulling in a lot of different things. I mean, I'm overwhelmed by that. I really <laughs> am. Lot, right? I mean, I'm still distracted by you said Superman blue on the, <laughs> on the, the tin. The tin is pretty. Yeah. I think the reason that we made this our signature malt was it showcases depth and complexity in a really cool way, but it's approachable. It should be very balanced on the nose. The, the different fermentation and esters should still come through. So apple, apricot, a little bit of honey maybe coming through. And then as you taste it, those baking spices keep coming forward. I get some pecan, some ginger spice, a little bit of cocoa in there, and also a little bit of red fruit, maybe cherry or raspberry. And so it's just showcasing how this can evolve. It's 92 proof, so if you added a little water, it would open up. I get more vanillins and cocoa coming out. But for people who like Japanese whiskey or maybe um, English whiskey, you mentioned England, the Cotswolds whiskey is amazing. I love finding a whiskey that it's a true global single malt. And I think that's what this is. There's so much delicate balance on the nose here. Things come in and meander out, but not one nosing note. There's not one thing that just 
stays there all the time. Right. They just keep playing in and out. And that's just so delightful. On just again, I, I I put the scene, the the setting where we're at, just to sit in your tasting room or sit out on the back veranda where you have this fireplace going and the the cows and the hills. You're almost transported out of. I mean, not that Virginia's bad or not the United States is bad, but you almost get that. Hey. You can see yourself, minus maybe the ocean, but you can see yourself in Scotland yes. <laughs> or, or, or in Ireland and, and just be transported to that place. I love that. I also love the idea that whiskey is that moment. It's like a call to action to stop, smell the roses, enjoy, keep sipping. When people just shoot whiskey back, it breaks my heart because there's this whole story to tell. And that's, that's the whiskey I'm making. I want people to, to be somewhere. One of the things that really hits me first is there's a wonderful, the, the viscosity, the mouthfeel mm -hmm. is almost like a honey that just coats your mouth. You get this sweetness, but then you start getting the different um, flavor profiles of the wood. I think you talked about the esters. I would love to learn. That's something that no one's ever talked to me about, tasting the esters in the whiskey, what would be that characteristic that I would bring out if I'm tasting esters? Absolutely. We are so geeky. We use two different strains uh, of yeast. Well, let's get geeky. <laughs> I love it. One is kind of the workhorse, and its job is just to convert those sugars over to alcohol. And so for 3Ds, it's making beer. That's, that's its job. But the other yeast is there to develop the flavor profiles we really like. And so when I'm walking through our fermentation tanks, I always say banana nut bread, but there's also green apple pear skins, um, apricot for sure. There's this little tropical art sometimes with pineapple. And so all those notes start out there and then distilling only concentrates them further. So when you were smelling our new make as it came off the still and you thought apple, spot on, I, I really think that those notes are often covered up by aging in new oak or they're muted a bit. And since we're using so much first fill bourbon barrel, it's just nice to see those still there, that there's a balance that you can strike between the fruit and the structure of the barrel spice, that cinnamon ginger coming through, maybe some clove. That baking spice is there that to me lingers. It really does. This is just a nice, warm, flavorful, fruity hug. Yes. And I still get, because I know I don't want to distract, I don't want to detract people, but I still get some smokiness here. <laughs> you know, when you say, oh, it's not PD, don't worry about it. <laughs> right. But I think that's probably coming from the bourbon barrel or maybe even through your malting process somewhere. Yeah, there's still like a little whiff of, it's. it wouldn't be considered peat, so there's no, no like iodine or medicinal note coming through, nothing, nothing in that vein. But yes, like that little bit of, I think that layers in some extra complexity and you want to feel like there's depth. So I don't want to just have the high notes with, if it was just like, honey and tropical fruit, it would be a little bit lackluster to me. I want to have something that lingers down below and that could be the barrel spice pulling you in or that little bit of, oh, there's some smoky character. Very soft, very approachable, but but there to give shoulders and weight. I'm going to say this is getting on that boat ride, the tunnel of love, where it's slow mm. and then you see, oh, there's that and there's that and you just see these little vignettes 
as you go through. It's not a roller coaster ride. This is not going to take you tick, 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 and drop you down and you get these all these flavors and then that's it. This is such a meandering pour. This is delicious. Thank you. We haven't had this yet, so this is great. Good. I, I know you were at Bar Convent, Brooklyn. I sure was. And I'm, I'm at a loss to remember to actually remember what you brought. But, you know, I st- what I can remember is we said, wow, not connecting that we had been here before because you didn't have the courage and conviction lying when we were here the last time. So this is all new for us. Right. Yeah. We, we had this motto, we'll let the whiskey tell us when it's ready. So we started out with bringing over whiskey from Scotland that had distilled in age and combining it with our own. So at first it was more the Scottish distillate, less of ours, and then over the years more and more of ours till it would eventually be 100% our whiskey. But we would finish it in Virginia. Really, it was a second maturation for years. So that was that was what we did from 2015 until 20. Well, really 2019 we did a sneak peek of our encouraging conviction line, and then 2020 was the full launch. And so it's been so exciting to just grow everything up and see it bloom. So where should we go to next while we're blooming? Well, <laughs> let's do our encouraging conviction bourbon cask. And so this is just 100% aged in these first fill bourbon barrels. They're the smallest barrels we age in at 52, just under 53 gallons. And I love being able to showcase what this looks like because you really get those fermentation notes. I get a little bit of honeyed pineapple sometimes, um, pear, apple for sure, and then it goes a little cedar and cinnamon for me. I get a lot of vanilla on the nose. Vanilla and lemon peel. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because one of the things for me when I nose a bourbon, even whiskey, the first characteristic I don't normally get is vanilla. I don't get caramel, Mm. but this is one of those things I get, and then you do get that citrus Yes. It almost trails off. Yes. It's it's light. I'm waiting for you to say something out loud that nobody will ever smell. And then you're (laughs) just going to laugh and go, that's not even in there. Who is that? (laughs) Right? I mean, because that's... But we all smell differently. It's true. To have that level of ability to pull these little nuances out... I think that creates such a more enjoyable experience for, for you know, it's it's being able to see and, and having like 20-20 vision yes. versus, you know, I can't see far. You can see far, you can see close, but that's on your palate. That's on your nose. So true. And I love that you're, you're making a memory with this whiskey because so much of sensory is tied to memory, smell especially. So being somewhere like sitting on my porch with a lemon crumb bar and this whiskey and reading a good book, that's a memory that I have like treasured away. And I'll never forget how that whiskey tasted and how that pairing made me feel. That needs to be a scene in a Hallmark movie. <laughs> Somebody just sitting, with, sipping whiskey with a lemon crumb bar and reading a book. The while cat that, curled up on the chair beside me. While that fake snow is all, you know, placed nicely around. That would be good. <laughs> Let's do that. I'm going to pick up a lot more lemon on my nose than, than the vanilla. It's like an almost candied lemon peel. Mm-hmm. Even on the mouthfeel, I love the difference between these two. I think it's spot on. You, you definitely get more characteristics of where that bourbon barrel is imparting the flavor here. But I also get brininess in this. Salinity. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. That was one of the things that, like on the sides towards the back of my mouth. Yeah. And I'm like, where is that coming from? <laughs> you know, one really cool thing that we've talked a lot about is 
we bottle most of our whiskey at certain ABVs for a reason, and we do a very slow water addition to get to that bottling strength. If we did it all at once, I think you would lose that. You would have this sort of lackluster, watery experience, and I want that salinity, I want that bright citrus to stay strong, and having this very controlled preparation landing phase for the whiskey is so key. As comparing this to the first that we tried, the mouthfeel is thinner. Mm -hmm. But I think that lends to just the evaporation of the ethanols. The ethanols seem to rise yes. almost back up to your nasal cavity, right? Almost effervescent. Yeah. <laughs> and and then you, you get this, when you, you get the warmth going down. Mm -hmm. So you're getting the effervescence going up and the warmth going down. That cinnamon note lingers for me. Very yes. soft, a little bit of brown sugar. And I like, I want my finish to last. I don't want to drink a whiskey and go, what was that I just had? And this is one that I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> cinnamon bark, not mm. not cinnamon, like, right? right. It's That's not the, the difference. Yes. The, not the, the powdered, yeah. A little more earthy. Yeah. What, you know, where do you feel, you're, you're, you're creating this with the team, but, you know, when you do this, what are you, because it's also expressing the personality of the distillery, right? What That's do you think, what do you think is your personality or that common thread that runs through the whiskeys that you're really bringing into what goes in the bottle? I've never been asked that before and I love it. <laughs> I would like to say three things. I'm all about, my idea of a good whiskey is complexity. I want something that fires on so many different cylinders and that has a structure so it's going to stick with me, leave an impression, but not be something like being hit in the face or feeling like you're chewing on a two by four. I want it to be subtle that you have to just let it tell you its story. But I also want it to have so much complexity that you're engaged and that you have fun. I want you to be entertained by the whiskey and that's so crucial to me. I like to find that balance between sweet and savory and spicy. And I'm going to go ahead and pour our sherry cask because okay. this is one of the most <laughs> unique. Um, you'll find a lot of scotch has been finished in PX or Oloroso sherries. This is really fun for me because it's a whiskey that we've aged in for most of us. It's, it's Oloroso and PX, but we also use Fino sherry casks. Okay. So this embodies that question you just asked me because it's playful. You're going to find what you'd expect, but also maybe something else. And I contribute that to the complexity of using three different sherry casks to create this. The Oloroso is going to be nutty, candied hazelnut, maybe a little bit of funky complexity in there, like umami. The PX, well, decadent dried fruit, really deep leather cocoa. But the Fino, which is really more unusual in the whiskey world, that's going to be candied pineapple, uh, that honeysuckle. So all of those layers, unexpected, but the last thing that I think is really important for me is cohesive. Everything needs to fit and mesh and tell its story in the right way. On the nose, as you talk about, and that personality so far out of the three, and that's why I asked you, the complexity, mm -hmm. telling a story. Yes. What you've presented here is you're presenting a novel. It's not a short read. It's really, if you're either purchasing this or drinking this or sharing this with somebody, it's, I've never 
under I've never thought of sharing or buying a bottle for somebody as giving a book and saying, hey, this is what this book meant to me. This is what I enjoyed about this book. This is a book. This whiskey is a book you share. And then you say, all right, what did you get out of the story you enjoyed there? You just made me so happy. (laughs) My English lover's heart. Yes. I think that the world deserves time to slow down and have experiences. And if this whiskey will help them set the stage, that's everything I want. And connect with people. Have these conversations. That's what it's for. This is a perfect setting for having this conversation. This Overlooking this whole (laughs) distillery, knowing everything that we're drinking now came out of that production space. Yes. Yeah, we, we have a sense of place. That's that's a single malt story. You know who the people are. You know what the environment was. You know what the equipment, the stills, everything was. That sherry and two, one of the things that I, I, I find when somebody says they did a sherry finish, a lot of times what I get is just this dryness that is more off-putting than anything else in that sherry finish. All those notes you said, that honeysuckle. Yes. The earthiness of this. It's so different than I think any sherry finish that we've ever shared. Yeah, it's really good. Thank you. I, I think that that fino is our secret ingredient because I want a lusciousness. And having that layer to play with, that extra secret ingredient makes all the difference and there's a place for the dry but it's so much better when it's enhanced with the the more balanced like, tropical I feel like sweet my tongue's all coated because it feels like it's going like right in here yeah Did you notice that yeah yeah you mentioned umami yes we just interviewed and and and, and shared shochu and i'd oh. never had that before but that has the umami in it as a flavor Profile, Yes. And you saying that and at least now having that first experience with, it's there. Yes, but it's, it's so No, but it, but umami to me is like, what the hell is that flavor? What am I tasting? Like, I want to keep going back and having more of that. Yes. What is that? I can't figure out what that, that's what it is. Absolutely. It's like that sixth sense or whatever it is. Yes. And it's, what a fun reward for people who take the time to sip a whiskey and look. There's so much nuttiness, like a, I, I get cashew, I get the creaminess to it. Even this, this just changes. You know, you talk, you re-impart oxygen into your mouth. Mm-hmm. I know I talk a lot, but <laughs> you know, I'm adding a lot of oxygen, but it really changes. Yes. It really does. And it will keep on. You'll get more chocolate if you waited an hour. I'm so silly. Uh, the team is used to me walking around with an almost empty glass or an empty glass and still smelling it because there's still that beautiful aroma. My desk is often littered with my favorite glasses that I can't bear to stop smelling hours and hours later, a day later. I'll just put a lid on it and come back to it. I mean, I, I've never just left, you know, empty glasses around, but now I'm going to do that, right, Dawn? Yeah, <laughs> because the, the nose is, I say it's 50%. What would, I mean, just... Oh. You know, me someday seventy percent easily of flavor. I I get so much from just just smelling and tasting and smelling together. Like what an enhanced experience! 
people always ask if you were going to lose one, one sense, what would it be? And I just, most people say smell and I can't know. Hearing. <laughs> yeah. I think I would learn. At this point, I hearing. I can fingerspell a little. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'd still want to be able music. to touch. That would hurt, but yes. <laughs> I don't want to lose. In, in fact, all right, we're two years out of COVID. Yes. And there have been experiences. I don't know if you've had, I, I'm not, I don't, I haven't lost sense of taste or smell and that would just be crushing. You mentioned Adam. Yes. Who, who's a chef. Yes. I mean, to not be able to taste and enjoy, to have this ability to taste whiskey as you do and not be able to smell and nose and, and, and have that experience and taste it, that, that's, that's just not something I would want to experience. Oh, I was terrified. And I was able to stay healthy until the end of June this year. And I wasn't feeling too well, so I said, I'm staying home, and I took a, a COVID test, and it came up negative, but I was like, mm. And I, I ended up staying home for like four days, and I have a spice rack. <laughs> You're running around <laughs> I have a Lazy Season spice rack, so I closed my eyes, and I spin it, and I would open it up. And the very first one I pulled, I couldn't smell anything, and I opened my eyes, and it was the rosemary, which I don't really like, and it was still sealed. Oh, you forgot. So I, my heart was pounding. I thought, oh, God, because I knew I could smell, but I wanted to be able to identify things, and... Oh, so I, I did that every day and yeah, never lost my sense of smell. I'm not sure it was COVID, but I'm going to say it was because it was, you know. You, you bring about a question for me. What was that like as, as you started to get feedback that you have these abilities? This is the Superman color. You have a superpower. Your superpower is flavor, tasting, nosing. What, how is that? Like, what, when did you realize that or people told you and said, Amanda... Like, you've got a superpower. <laughs> I mean, even as a kid, I was... We didn't call it foodie then, but it was a family joke. Like, oh, man, it's going to want to try everything. And, you know, I just always wanted to cook, always wanted to eat out. I love food. And I would wake up in the... I still do. I wake up in the morning and I think, what am I going to eat today? What am I going to drink today? And that's all day long. Is that you too? <laughs> that's him. And it's been so fun because you find those people and, you know, they enjoy life. Oh, yeah. Like, what a great way to live. So that's been me. And I find those kindred spirits. So... We're not terribly rare, but it's so fun to make those connections and to find a job where that's what you get to do and find a variety of things. So this whole Courage and Conviction line, there are variances, like I'm showcasing an array of flavors. Our other line, which we currently call VHW, we're gonna to transition to calling it VDC. I mean, that's, that's a totally different flavor profile. So to be able to showcase those complexities in such different ways, that's fun. And it's its really delightful to say that, yeah, I get to meet people and, and showcase what I do and learn what they're doing. It's, it's a way of never stopping. You learning. say that, though, from a standpoint, but somebody has to, I mean, maybe you thought, oh, I'm, I'm kind of good at this. But when somebody stops and says, this is your superpower, how does that, how do you receive that? I mean, knowing that where you now fit in in the whiskey industry, yeah, and you share there, you're in a small, I'm going to say, fraternity of people that have this special power. You know, it's funny. I never, as a kid, you never hear, "Hey, do you want to be a blender when you grow up?" There, <laughs> there. Careers that are put in front of you, and this is not one that ever crossed my mind. No. So my trajectory was education. I, I loved history and literature, so I thought, you know, I'll find something there. And just if I can find fun things to do on the side, let's do that. And so it was a real surprise to me to see that this job even existed, and I've been able to fit in the other things. 
so the education and history I can kind of bring in and and help people embrace the things that I love in addition to the whiskey and philanthropy, nonprofit work. I thought for a long time that was going to be my path. And we dedicate a barrel every year to a nonprofit of our team's choice. We do all sorts of things on the side. So I'm really fortunate. And I think it really was Nancy Fraley saying, hey, when you said you got those notes from that whiskey, you know, nobody else was able to pull those out. That was my first moment of, oh, I am different, I guess, because I just thought... Everybody's you know, smelling this, everybody's right? Everybody's smelling it. I'm just geekier about it. And right. I'm more excited. <laughs> but but that was the moment when she was like, no, you're getting things and you're able to think critically and say, I think this problem is caused by this. That's the difference. And so being able to even help with other distilleries, sometimes I'll get a sample and they'll say, what do you think of that? And that's so fun because it is a rich world of flavor everywhere. And they have different environments to age their whiskey in or different barrels to work with. So I, I love that. Do you, do you think that when you said that, it's just something popped into my head that you're able to, when you're able to help other distilleries understand, I, I just wonder sometimes if I'm tasting something, is that a bad thing or a good thing? Or is it wrong or right? Should mm -hmm. it be there or shouldn't it be there? Yes. Right? Because you have this different sensory ability Somebody could say, well, I like we just we were down in Tampa. We had these great rums. Mm. I love funkiness in a rum. I love that. Just some some people like I don't like funky in a rum. I love funky in a rum. And we just had some amazing rums. And I gravitate towards that. Those 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 citrical, those topical, the tropical notes, uh, the, the funkiness, the banana but somebody else in a, a whiskey, you may pull something out and say, mm, there's something wrong here. That's a really interesting point because I did do some classical training and then I did some other things like the W set and they'll train you on faults. And I even have done faults training with Nancy Fraley. And there are things that, you know, these don't belong in whiskey, but there are other things like you said, banana isoamyl acetate that forms in fermentation. And I like it to an extent I, that can contribute banana. Um, it can also contribute things like bubble gum. A little bit of that is kind of cool, but most of the time you wouldn't want to sip a whisk and go, oh, this is banana bubble gum. Now maybe you would, and that's okay, but that's the thing that I have to think about and being able to go, this is where it comes from, this is how we can mitigate it, or maybe encourage it. It's really fun. You've just given me, like, uh, that, that was a gift. So thank you for that. Because we've had whiskeys that I've gotten bubblegum out of. And, all right, now I know what it is. We've had whiskeys or bourbons more so. I think we get banana out of it. And now I understand where that comes from. And I've, like, I've looked at you, Dawn, and I've said, bubblegum. And, and I've looked at him like, what are you, crazy? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But you might be interpreting it as hair drops if you're in England or banana. Mm -hmm. And you might be going, no, this is bubblegum. It's the same chemical compound. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm a very big fan of diacetyl. It comes across to me in, in many ways that we get it here at the distillery. is like buttery, um, butterscotch. And I love that. But you could have a... a diacetyl bomb and that would be like no 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 that's buttered popcorn and i don't like that and i have had whiskey i like butter popcorn okay so there we go it's it's fine but, but you balance. shouldn't get buttered pop all right i'm gonna say you shouldn't get out of a single malt i mean that because there's be... no there's no corn well but that's not coming from the corn it's coming i know from it's the coming from the chemical 
Yeah, right? what people expect is a huge part of it. If you were making a bourbon, you're exactly right. People might think, oh yeah, I, I understand this connection. So I guess if somebody wanted to be really playful with a single malt and bring that up to the forefront, they could, but it might be a better fit, to your point, with a bourbon. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would be very curious now that you mentioned that, saying, oh, buttered popcorn in a single malt? Yeah. There's something off right about that, yeah. but unless I enjoyed the flavor. And then I'm like, I'm glad they dialed that up and brought that there. What's the uh, what's that one bottle that you're like this the closest to I you? Might have saved the best for last. Oh, you did. I don't know how. I, I don't know how you go from best to best to best to best to last. Right. These are all delicious. And so for those that have never been to Virginia Distillery Company or would like to now access some of your single malts how do they find you yeah if you do come to virginia we're open for tours and tastings wednesday through sunday we're in i think 40 states now um so if you go to our website vadistillery.com there's a whiskey finder you can plug in your zip code and see what places near you have us um but also if you want it shipped we work with different online retailers to ship to almost every state so you can look for that on our website as well all right, so everybody now, you know, shut down their servers. <laughs> Are you ready Go to ahead. talk about this um, one? Okay. I'm, I'm ready. I, I already started nosing this. I and- saw- <laughs> this is probably our most unique cask. I mentioned earlier Dr. Jim Swan, and he was this maturation expert who was starting in Taiwan. There was a um, Cavalon distillery, King Car. And they were planning to do a lot of first fill bourbon barrels. And Speyside Cooperage had placed a big order ahead of them, and they were going to have to wait probably a year or more to get enough bourbon barrels from Kentucky shipped out to Taiwan. And so Jim, who'd been in the industry for a long time, started to talk to his friends in Spain and Portugal. And long story short, they created a cast type inspired by that dechar-rechar process for bourbon. So in their first life, these barrels held a premium red wine blend. And after the wine is taken out, they shave the inside stage just three to five millimeters, toast, and then do a quick char. And that process brings out a lot of wood sugars. So we are aging our whiskey in these, what a lot of the industry calls STR for shave, toast, rechar, recouper. Um, we call them cuvee, and that's not of that first run of the premium red wine. Also, most wine casks aren't charred to begin with, so it didn't make sense to call it rechar. Uh, but... Yeah, I don't know if I would be going down the <laughs> aisle and going, oh, look, Rechar, I'll buy that. Right. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. And also, we're geeky alliteration lovers, so Courage and Conviction Cuvée cask. We couldn't pass the on that. The three Cs. Right? <laughs> so, red wine, that brings out the, the raspberry, cherry, blood orange notes, but the barrels themselves, that process, brown sugar, maple, ginger, chocolate in some way or another every one of these casks has something from like a milk chocolate ganache down to like a tootsie roll or dry cocoa mocha note i really love that i totally picked up brown sugar yeah the top note for me butter there's butter on that yes yeah this is one that i feel like is my dessert whiskey i will happily sit with a new york cheesecake and this i'm in heaven i see i see a like you know, lemon bars and cheesecake, and there's there's a sweetness about it. There you. is. The sherry cast <laughs> is more like cheeses and smoked meats. Um, but yeah, these these right here, my gosh. I'm really enjoying this one. <laughs> Yay! Sometimes I just never get glasses back. 
Wow, there's, uh, again, this is a, a whole different novel. Right? This is, you know, Ernest Hemingway and just this and this and this and this. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, I'm just going to sit here. The, the podcast is now going to be four hours because three, <laughs> the next three hours are just me nosing. I haven't tasted this. It's like the fireside chat. You know, you can yes. just sit there and occasionally yep. sip the Yule Log videos. <laughs> Where would you like to see where you've taken Virginia Distillery Company so far and the team because I don't want to leave them out oh they're amazing what's the future look like for Virginia Distillery Company well we're excited to be seeing recognition of the category there hasn't been a really significant new whiskey category in the U.S. since the 70s so having American single malt finally out there, I'm excited to see people walk into a liquor store and find an American single malt section and go, oh, I know what that is. So that is my dream. Um, as far as the whiskey goes, I have new products in mind. I have plans to roll out some really fun things even next year. So I'm excited to do more single barrel picks. I love finding a barrel and thinking, I need the world to have this experience that I'm having right now and I want it bottled like this. So finding those honey casks is always a fun part of my job. And I think the whole team would say, in addition to having the recognition of the category, being able to find our whiskey in every state, like watching that growth. We're currently in South Korea, but other countries have expressed interest. So I think we all want to be traveling the world and saying, oh, we make that right there. Do you know where that 10-year-old barrel is right now in the cask house? I do. <laughs> it's in cask house number two, about midway back on the right side. <laughs> I've got a couple of them set away. And yeah, I want to do a 10-year-old release. I think that's going to be I a really fun anniversary. I think that for where the yeah. maturation of the distillery is and saying this is what we've arrived at. Yes. Because what we're tasting here is phenomenal and tasty and fun and complex. And this is now. And you can only imagine where that future takes people. Like your single barrel releases, I can only imagine. I'd like to say the best is yet to come. Of course it is. This has been tremendous. I First of all, we didn't even do like... What's the proof on this? These are all 46% ABV. Okay. Because this, I get a little bit more ethanol. Mm -hmm. It's a thinner... Again, I think we went from the most viscosity. I'm not going to say we went down the way. It kind of arcs for me. It does. But this still has a thin feel, which uh, uh, my experience, again, I get that effervescence. I get that warmth. It, it, it kind of keeps going up and down the elevator. And in wintertime, I've noticed that our whiskey does do that more versus like say spring or fall it's so funny how the casks like they are constantly breathing in and out the whiskey is constantly changing and interacting with that and i think that that shows even in the glass how do you find with all these barrels how are you finding the trying to keep the consistency of a flavor profile or are you of the mindset saying look this is the personality they may be different. So if you have, let's say, a 2021 cuvee versus a 2022, it's going to be a little different. Do you find that? Or, I mean, are you, is it, hey, we're trying to walk this line and keeping this consistent? I think consistency is important to a point because the consumers need to know that if they like something, they're still going to like it, that it's going to still hit these notes. 
So one of my dreams that came true last year was the building of our vatting house. And that is just such a gift because I've got big vats in there and I will Solera style build up my individual products, but I'll never empty those tanks. So that way I have a consistent base to keep building and matching to. And I'll always do triangle tests or things to compare and contrast between the last bottling run and what I'm building right now to make sure it is consistent. I want it to keep getting better, but I also want to make sure that it's meshing and matching really well. So having the space and making sure I always retain some of the prior bottling run that, that keeps me on track. Well, you're definitely on track. This is, this is a treat. Thank you. Is there anything we haven't talked about on the podcast today? Anything you want to share with our listeners, people to know more about you or the team or what they can expect when they come here to Virginia Distillery Company? I'll just give a shout out to the team. Uh, we really believe that everybody gets to contribute what they're passionate about. So we have Dustin Castor. He's our distillery director. And he oversees this building. He has multiple distillers working for him and they take shifts and they all can help in the bottling house. So it's like all hands on deck, which I love. Um, Brian Hersey, he's our seller and warehouse manager. I probably work with him more than anybody else. And just the level of care, he spends so much time up on a forklift, placing and lifting the barrels, bringing them down to the vatting house. And I mean, just having a rock star team, I think it's more of our sense of place and who we are and they'll all come and I'll do a whiskey Wednesday or a fun Friday and they get to see what I'm working on and give feedback and it's so crucial. So I think we have something really special. Well, today's Wednesday. What does Whiskey Wednesday entail? <laughs> this Whiskey Wednesday, Whiskey Wednesday, is at 3 p.m. Okay. And we are going to be tasting a whiskey. I like to showcase single malts from around the world. So we're doing an Indian single malt, a Christmas edition of Paul John, and I have snacks and treats, and it's just a way that everybody on the team can stay educated. I think that's so important. So I, I think education is one of my favorite hats to wear and exposing them to a really cool type of whiskey made on the other side of the planet. Why not? Okay. <clears throat> on the way out, I'm grabbing a job application <laughs> and um, uh, hopefully I'll get through the interview process. And uh, I think you know somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for being a friend of Fermented Adventure. And uh, hopefully we'll see you at Bar Cotton in Brooklyn again in June. Um, but if not, we know where to find you here yes. in Virginia. Definitely make this a stop or find this in your local uh, provider because you'd be missing out. This would be a sad part of life if you didn't get a chance to try these whiskeys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.